the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation, they're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. Could you just please let the Justin Verlander conversation go? I don't want him with the Red Sox. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes, right up until 7 o'clock, and lots to get to, including some UVM Hoops Talk. Catamounts win today, beating Evansville in day two of the Gulf Coast Showcase. Former coach Tom Brennan will stop by with us about 6.15 there. We'll hear from TB. We got, I've got a new plan for the Red Sox in the offseason. I feel very good about this. I think this is a great, ingenious plan for your Red Sox. And Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, is going to stop by at 5.45. And Matthew Judon, attacking mac and cheese. We'll talk about that as well. But Bob Sosi coming up in about 15 minutes. You can always get in. It's your show as much as it is mine. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026 is the phone number. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Something I've been thinking about with the Patriots for a while, and it's time to bring it up now. Now is the right time to bring this up. I think this Patriots team, 2021, has more team chemistry and is having more fun than any of the Tom Brady teams I covered. Now, I've only been here since 2016, so I'm not disparaging Brady's entire career. In fact, I want to make sure it's clear. I'm not insulting Tom Brady. But in the time that I've been here, there is just something about this team, something they have that those Brady teams I was around, and even last year with Cam, that those teams didn't have. I've been I've been examining this all season. It's very apparent. This team likes each other, respects each other, and wants to play for each other, and it shows in a different way than any other Pats team I've been around. Look, winning helps. We all know that. If this team was four and seven, not seven and four, we might not be having this conversation, but we are. Winning helps, we know that. But this team just seems to have something different, something that good teams have. I've seen Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne talk up Mac Jones. I've seen Mac Jones talk about playing with a lot of love with this team. Matthew Judon has been great for team chemistry, in, in my opinion. Even Bill Belichick has talked about a special bond that this team has. It's clear to me that bond is special. And it's a bond I didn't, I've, I have not seen before. Again, no knock on Brady. I'm not trying to be hot take guy or clickbait guy or looking for attention guy. I'm trying to be smart analytical guy here. 
the vibe around this team is just different. And it all kind of came, it kind of crystallized for me last night watching Monday Night Football. The intensity on Brady's face. The look on Brady's face. And it's the same look that we had for years here in Foxborough. When you play with Tom Brady, when you play on a Tom Brady-led team, there is one goal and one goal only. And that goal hangs over everything you do. Win the Super Bowl or it's a failure. He knows it, and so does everybody else in that locker room. So the teams that Brady is on, similar thing with LeBron, the teams that Brady is on, they are like machines. For the most part, those Patriots teams were really good on the field, but they didn't have a ton of personality. Gronk here, Kyle Van Noy there. There was some, there was not a lot. Those teams were like machines. They were somewhat boring, they were cold, and they were calculated. And by the way, it worked, and by the way, they won. But there's an intensity there that, while admirable, was, or while admirable, rather, was unwavering. You have one job to do, and any deviation from that task sets you back. Very workmanlike. With these Patriots, it's different. Of course, they want to win the Super Bowl, too. I'm not saying they have lower expectations than those Brady teams. They want to win the Super Bowl, too. But they're doing it in a different way. This team seems to really be enjoying the journey. They seem to really be enjoying the process of building. Brady teams, I don't think, enjoyed that. They know the journey is necessary. It's a means to an end. They have to do it. But for Brady teams, it's all about the end result. Hey, let's do this because we have to, and let's get to the playoffs. And let's win the Super Bowl. And if we don't do it right, it's a failure. This Patriots team doesn't feel like that. Yes, the end goal is the same, but they seem to be enjoying and buying into the process, and they seem to be having fun with it. There is a very, very high school-like quality to this team for me. The smiles that they have, the joy that they play with, the energy that they bring, it seems like there's a naivete, like there's a... um, an adolescent nature to it. It just feels different. Tom Brady teams feel like we have one goal, we're doing that goal, and that's it. We're, we're right here on schedule all the time. The Patriots don't feel like that right now. Why do most professional athletes that I talk to, when you talk about the best time in their careers, it was high school. They liked that the best. Before it was a business, before it was a job, when they grew up and played with the guys who they always played with, and they did something together. That's what the Patriots feel like right now. They feel like the high school team that is growing and crescendoing together. If you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm crazy, let me know. 802-585-3026. But these guys, they just seem to have a bond that those other teams didn't. When you went in, let's see, I got here in 2016. So 16, 17, 18, 19 with Brady, four years with Brady, and one year with Cam. It just felt like, you know, the Cam team had good chemistry. They weren't good enough. So the winning didn't meet the fun level. So that they're out. And the four Brady teams ahead of that, or that preceded Cam, 
cold, calculated, one goal, one mission, all the time. Intense, intense, intense. You are brought here to do a job, and that is all. Now, this team, build, grow, make mistakes, stub your toe, correct those mistakes, get better. That's what it feels like to me. And some of you may think I'm crazy, but I don't. And I, I've noticed this for a bit. I probed it with Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston on Friday. I said, Phil, am I crazy to think the Patriots are having more fun this year? I think it is fair. And I think it's I think it's the personality of, of some of the players that they've added. And I would point right to Matt Judon. Yeah. This is a guy who gets along with everybody in that locker room who has brought a real energy and enthusiasm to that locker room from the day he got here. Energy, enthusiasm. We didn't always have that. It was accomplish the task. That's it. Accomplish the task. I'm 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 picking up an extreme example here, but remember the movie Miracle? The way the Team USA hockey was portrayed, the way the Soviet Union was portrayed. Soviet Union didn't smile, get the job done, accomplish the task at hand. Even winning isn't that special. It's just about can we win again? That was kind of the same attitude with the Tom Brady Patriots. This Patriots team, Team USA, we're not supposed to be here. We're not expected to do this, but we're growing on the fly. We're getting better, and it's fun. That that enthusiasm, it goes away as the expectations get higher. Trust me, it does. As guys get older, as guys get mature, as guys get more money, they tend to become more guarded and more insulated. This team feels together. And it feels like a collaborative effort. It's going to go away at some point. Enjoy it while we've got it because it's different than what we've had. And it has been fun. I told you all along, lower expectations as a fan base at least, kind of welcome once in a while. Because when you watch the Brady Patriots, it was pretty simple. Again, we'll watch the games. If we lose, it's a failure. If we don't, if, Even if we win, but we don't win perfectly, it's a failure and get us to the playoffs. This team I've been able to watch in a different way. I've been able to watch them. Sure, I get frustrated. Sure, I got mad when they were 1-3. and three. But I was able to watch them grow and celebrate the little victories, and now the little victories are becoming vic- big victories, and that's fun. That is fun to watch. Marvin Williamstown on the text line, Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury. Brady, I think I can see your point. I, too, was watching Monday Night Football last night, and Brady just looks like an assassin out there. It's a different vibe. Yeah, that's a good word, assassin. Right before halftime, the Bucks were up, I want to say 17-10 at the half. And Brady's looking at somebody, he just goes over, doesn't even smile, and just goes, good job, and goes to the huddle. Again, doesn't mean it can't work. It clearly works for them. What works for this team this year? A little bit of fun, a little bit of style, a little bit of personality, co- collaborative effort, a boyish charm to them. This team is fun to watch. This team is really fun to watch. And they're 7-4. They're fun to watch play, and they're fun to watch interact, and they're fun to watch you know, talk about you know, talk about each other, fun to listen to. I mean, look, last night on ESPN Radio, Kendrick Bourne was talking with uh, – he was talking with Sarah Spain. That's right. He was talking with Sarah Spain, and here's what he had to say about Mac Jones. You know, he's the head of our team, and he's doing a great job of holding it together and being poised, being relaxed in the in the toughest situation. So, 
And we but we haven't probably even seen our toughest situation. So the potential of him in, in the situations he's been in just been dope to see at, at the age he's at. And, yeah. It's just nice to hear the way they talk about each other and the way they rally around each other. Awesome stuff. This Patriots team I really, really like, and obviously I think you guys do too, given their record. But if you just look beyond their record, they just play for each other. Very, very very high school, very, very collegiate. Something you don't always get in the pros, especially with teams that are expected to go in and do well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Dot com. Speaking of the Patriots, the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, is going to join us next. Somebody we haven't spoken about in like eight weeks. I got to ask Bob a question about this Patriot, who I think is making an impact. Bob Sosi next on DEV. He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now... It's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Dua takes the snap, he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball goes toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to Foxborough. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Tuesday, WDEV. Every single Tuesday, 545, right at this time, we talk with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. And you can listen to Bob and Scott Zolak on the call of this upcoming Sunday's game, Patriots and Titans, a huge game when we talk about the AFC playoff picture coming into a uh, more clearer focus. The coverage will begin at 10 a.m. The kickoff will be at 1. Bob Sosi is with us now. Bob, we are on the eaves of Thanksgiving. I hope that you are well. I'm doing well, Brady, wishing you and your audience and your families a very happy Thanksgiving. It is certainly the time of year when Bill Belichick likes to say that football season begins, and the best part about it is we kick off with that Thanksgiving feast. And uh, certainly the Patriots are in a good spot to give thanks after two wins in four days, five days, on Sunday and Thursday against the Browns and the Falcons, and then, of course, watching what unfolded over the weekend with the rest of the AFC. Yeah, a lot of things turned up Patriots this past weekend. Pats are now, it's remarkable, Bob, they're in first place in the AFC East. They control their own destiny at this point in the division, and they're only one game out right now from the best record in the conference. And given all the scuttlebutt and all the conversation and all the roster turnover, I'm just amazed that we're here. I thought the team could be good, but I'm amazed that we're in this position this late in the season. Well, you know, in, in one sense, I can understand that. But on the other hand, I look around the rest of the AFC. <laughs> look at the Kansas City Chiefs, where they've gone during the course of the last few weeks at the same time the Patriots have ascended. And then you look at the Buffalo Bills, how they have descended during that same stretch. You look at the Tennessee Titans, 7-0 versus teams that were in the playoffs a year ago. And they have lost to the Jets and most recently, the Texans, it's the topsy-turvy nature of the AFC. So I can completely understand what you're saying with regards to the Patriots, the way this season began. But considering the way it's gone for everybody else in the conference, at least, it seems like it's only apropos. You know, Bob, I'm going to talk about that later, but I might as well bring you in on this conversation, too. People point out the lack of a dominant team in the AFC and look at it as a problem. 
isn't this what the NFL has been going for forever? The NFL, we talk about you're designed to be 500. The schedules are different. And every, they, the NFL wants this, don't they? 12 of 16 teams in the AFC are in the hunt. The number one seed is certainly up for grabs. Every division except one right now is separated by a game or less at this point. The Patriots broke the system forever. Isn't this what the NFL wants? Well, that's an important point because the Patriots did defy the scheduling formula for the NFL. They defied the salary cap uh, ramifications for teams. They defied uh, the free agency uh, introduction and period in the NFL by becoming this two decade long dynasty through all of that. But you know, the one word through the years, going back to Pete Rozelle's commissioner tenure, parody. Hmm. The, the system is intended to breed parody. And what they've gotten this year is parody in some respects, (laughs) P-A-R-O-D-Y, along with parody in terms of the evenness and the competitive nature of the conference in terms of so many teams still being alive for playoff spots. And of course, on top of that, you have the extra game, you have the extra playoff spot, and that's only increased all the possibilities for teams. But without question Brady you know we've gone through this season and on, even on the NFC side I think as good as the Arizona Cardinals have been for example and as good a record as Green Bay has had up until the last couple of weeks I think you look at the NFC too as the Cowboys have certainly shown the last three weeks there really is no dominant team right now in the NFL you can throw the Rams into that mix early on this season they looked like they had the potential to be the Super Bowl favorite out of the NFC. So while the AFC is more balanced in terms of all these teams in this logjam being bunched around the 500 mark, even in the NFC, what we have seen is a lot of those teams that had raced out of the the blocks have come back to the pack now, and we're seeing parity in, you know, the the most... uh, appealing way possible is envisioned by the <laughs> NFL, uh, uh, you know, Pete Rozelle and, and uh, the NFL owners when they when they really settled on the concept that they they wanted to produce a league that made it difficult to to be dominant. And uh, as you said, the Patriots defied uh, everything about the landscape of the NFL for so long. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. He's with us every single Tuesday. Coming up on Sunday, we're going to have Bob and Zoe on the call. Patriots and Titans, 10 a.m. with the pregame show, 1 p.m. with the kickoff. You know, Mac Jones was on WEEI yesterday in Boston and talked about the idea of managing his emotions. And do you think he's too demonstrative at times negatively on the field? Would that be the one criticism we have of him so far? Well, I, I don't recognize that station you mentioned uh, regarding that interview, but uh, I, I understand he was on a local radio appearance. So, but uh, hey, as I as I try to hide my emotions at the moment, yes. Yeah. In all seriousness, like like I think that you know it's funny because who was the quarterback here for two decades? He was extremely demonstrative on the field and on the sidelines. And yeah, true. You know, I think the the biggest thing about Tom Brady is that when it came time to return to the field. He was able to channel those emotions and control them and channel them in in the right direction. And as long as they're not counterproductive for Mac Jones, I don't have an issue with it. And as long as teammates don't have a problem with it on the field, then you know, I certainly think that uh, it's a real non-factor for him. But if he takes one bad play 
into the next play, and thus far he hasn't. Or if there becomes a problem in the huddle or a problem in the locker room as the result of it, yeah, then it's something that I think there ought to be concerned about. But at this point, I think, you know, the one good thing about Mac that I really appreciate is that he is, he is open to a certain extent. I think he's become more regarded, um, you know, tighter-lipped as the season has gone along and he's had more opportunities to say things, whether in a formal press conference setting at the podium or in his local radio appearances. But there has been, you know, I think on his part, a little bit of openness about that in particular, you know, his self-criticism, his uh, willingness to share with us that he keeps an improvement journal, for example, and as well the willingness to discuss his emotions from his youth on the tennis court. Now, of course, in the case of his nickname McEnroe, we learned about that from Nick Saban and uh, what he revealed to us with regards to Mac Jones. Saban gave a very honest appraisal of the young quarterback in a recent interview. So I think at this point, it's nothing to be concerned about because I think Mac Jones is working to improve upon his emotional reactions. And thus far, we have not seen, at least the way I view it, any evidence that it's had any negative impact on his performance or on the reaction of the team or taken away his leadership ability as the quarterback of the offense. You know, I thought it was interesting. It was late last week. Julian Edelman said that he likes Mac Jones, but he wants to see him and how he responds to adversity. And I thought to myself, hasn't he shown how he responds to adversity a lot already? The Cam Newton situation was certainly tough for him. Tom Brady's reunion would have been tough for him. He's come back from double figures down on the road against Houston. He's overcame a pick six against Dallas to immediately throw a touchdown. Like other than coming back from injury at this point, Hasn't he shown us how he would respond in a lot of different negative situations? Well, I think so. I mean, he was battered by New Orleans. We saw that scene of him sitting on the bench when Bill Belichick walked off the field and had to kind of usher him back away from the bench area following the loss to go down to the Patriots locker room to send the steps and disappear from our view away from the television cameras. There have been a couple of other close losses. Miami certainly in its first NFL regular season game, driving the Patriots into the red zone only to see the ball turned over to the Dolphins and to come away with a loss. So I think that he has faced adversity in that regard. Uh, There are other instances where within the same game, He's had difficulties like the Chargers contest where he endured a three for 13 stretch early on, but rebounded to complete his final six passes and help salt that game away. Even I think in the last couple of games, there have been, you know, some difficult uh, hiccups to overcome or some speed bumps along the way. Like for example, the interception against the Falcons looked like the Patriots kind of dialed it back after that pick by Atlanta on an ill-advised throw. So He's had some experiences that have not gone his way to this point and has been able to get back on track thereafter. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. A guy we haven't talked about probably in eight weeks I want to bring up now, and that's Nikhil Harry. i got to give him a lot of credit. Um, you know, he wanted to trade. His, his camp was loud in the offseason. He very easily could have gone in the tank. He was injured at times. I've seen him on the field more often. And I think that, you know, he has – I think he's been a contributor to this team. Blocking in the run game, Mac has looked his way a couple of times in the past game. So he doesn't have big numbers, but I think Nikhil Harry's um, psyche and growth should be mo- noted at least. 
I would agree, Brady. In fact, I tweeted out something very similar last week before the Falcons game. You know, I was a critic of his in the offseason. Certainly, I didn't think that his agent handled the situation well with the statement that he released on social media. I thought that Nikhil, I had a tendency during the spring, for example, when I appeared on one of the local radio shows on the flagship home of the Patriots, 98.5, the sports hub, uh, that uh, Nikhil Harry had a tendency at times during practices in seven on seven, 11 on 11 to disappear. I think that was the word that I used. And he's been compared to his first round status, not productive and a disappointment. But I think when you look at what he has done, as you mentioned, since his return, especially by committing to the run blocking that's been required of the Patriots receivers for the most part these last few weeks and showing total buy-in and then making a couple of plays in the Chargers game when the Patriots needed catches from him. A couple of plays early, for example, in the Atlanta game. I had a big grab as well in the game in between. And so I think that at least Nikhil Harry is making positive strides in the passing game. And at the same time, he's helping the Patriots gain significant yardage in the run game and that can't be discounted doesn't show up in the box score but it certainly is reflected on the scoreboard and it certainly has been noted by the patriots coaches bob i'll get you out of here on this two days away from thanksgiving we've heard belichick say starch me up he wants more mashed potatoes matthew judon hates macaroni and cheese for some reason and uh so i ask you what is the thanksgiving must have at the soci household well my wife is a terrific cook and my wife tends to cook in a really uh, healthy way and so whatever I say is probably going to fall on disbelieving ears and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be received uh, as unappetizing by the audience. Yeah. But, but frankly, you know, I, like when I hear people say mashed potatoes loaded up with gravy, I mean, who doesn't like that? Uh, who do, you know, who doesn't like starch? Who doesn't like pie? I mean, well, apparently Matt Jones doesn't. Yes. Like I love pie. Um, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of my favorite side dishes uh, that go with with turkey, and I prefer the side dishes uh, over the turkey. I'll have I'll have turkey and, and some gravy, but a lot of the ones that I I choose, they're they're really healthy concepts that my wife comes up with. She has this l- really great uh, uh, long grain rice dish with cranberries and uh, nuts and some other vegetables incorporated in it. I don't ask me to recite all the ingredients. <laughs> I, I love, for example, it's funny people love mashed potatoes. I love mashed cauliflower. Mm. with uh, some other ingredients, including some butter and some broth uh, th- that it's cooked in. Uh, but to go along with uh, you know some of the other uh, vegetarian dishes that she does. So again, I know I'm an outlier in that respect. It's boring Bob being boring Bob. <laughs> I know for the meat and potatoes crowd. Well, Bob, we hope you enjoy your calorie-friendly meal on Thursday, and we hope you enjoy the game on Sunday. We are thankful to have you and the Patriots on our station. We're thankful to have you on our show. It's one of our most uh, best-received segments every single week when we have you on. So, Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, 10 a.m. with the pregame show on Sunday, 1 p.m. with the kickoff, a big one against the Titans. And, Bob, we will do it again next week. Have a great holiday. Brady, I appreciate it. I should have prefaced what I answered, my response to your question, with the fact that I like to reserve some space for some so-called empty calories, which really is a misnomer when you're talking about calories from First Republic Brewery. You and First Republic so kind to send me a, a, a gift package, a care package, a couple of weeks ago. And that will definitely be part of my Thanksgiving menu this Thursday when I'm sitting back after the dinner watching football with no place else to go.
First Republic Brewery in Essex Junction, friend of Bob Sosi, <laughs> friend of me, and uh, we appreciate you, uh, you know, enjoying their beer as I enjoy their beer. So we will talk to you again next week, Bob. Brady, seriously, have a great Thanksgiving. I will do just that. Yeah, Bob drinking a little First Republic beer. So First Republic Brewery in Essex. So awesome stuff uh, from him, awesome stuff from them. A lot of stuff to get to from Bob in the 6 o'clock hour. When we come back, UVM men's basketball gets a win today. We'll check in with the legend, Tom Brennan. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Com show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, which is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. ProDriverCDL.com. Locations out in Enosburg as well as Milton, and they can help you take the next step in your career, maybe the first step in your career, but either way, it'll be a great step. They can help you with your Class A CDL, Class B CDL. They can help with some passenger and advanced skills training also. So give them a ring today. Start by going online, ProDriver cdl.com uvm men's basketball topped evansville today in the early morning affair 11 a.m the catamounts won day two of the gulf coast showcase uvm now four and two on the year final score 58 to 49 for the catamounts it was a slog through the first half especially uvm continues to struggle shooting the ball and trying to score consistently former head coach tom brennan's going to be with us here in a couple of minutes, but here's just some kind of notes on today. UVM got double figures from just two players. Isaiah Powell led the way with 17. Ben Shungu had 12. Ryan Davis, who had 24 yesterday, had nine today. If this team wants to be great, and I mean truly great in terms of accomplishing everything they want to accomplish, regular season title in the America East, tournament title, in the America East, and a seed high enough in the NCAA tournament to actually pull an upset. If they want to accomplish that level of stuff, they're going to need to get consistently big nights from Shungu and Davis, and right now, UVM is not getting those consistently big nights. When UVM beat Northern Iowa, Shungu had a big night, Davis didn't play. Okay, UVM loses to Maryland. Shungu had a huge night, and Davis was in single digits. When they play Yale, or you know, even in the, the Division Three game, Shungu had two points. So they're not getting those guys to be big on the same night. One guy goes off, one guy does nothing, one guy's intermediate, one guy does under, you know, does nine points like today with Davis. If you want to be great, this team cannot win with those guys being in single digits. Shungu got 12, Davis gets 9. That's not enough. It's not. Not if you want to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. You're going to get 18 games in the America East schedule. If you want to go 12-6, and six, you can get those kind of numbers. If you want to go 15-3, and 16-2, and two, and be a top seed in the conference and have all home, all home games throughout the America East tournament, you're going to need more than that. Davis has to get 18. Shungu's got to get 15. It can't be 12 and 9. It just can't. This team right now 
does not have the all-around scoring depth to pick up for its stars when they aren't big. The stars have to be stars, and they have to be stars consistently and over and over and over again. This UVM team is good. If it wants to be great, it needs a more star-like effort from Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis consistently on the same night. Not one for 20 and one for four. Not one for 18 and one for six. 18 here, 15 there, and then we worry about the other guys. The the baseline for this team, a non-starter, is you have to be able to get a star effort from Davis and Shungu. And right now, they're not getting that consistently. Luckily, the guy that I had the big question about, Isaiah Powell, we are getting that consistently. When he plays, he was suspended yesterday. When he plays, he is really stepping up into that third guy role. He had 17 today. He led the team in scoring. And that's great. He's they need to you know he he's a great third scorer. He needs scores one and two to be there consistently. Seventeen from Powell is awesome. They don't win this game today without him, obviously. But they need the other guys who are supposed to be scoring to do just that. And on the scoring note, fifty-eight points. It won today. It is not a lot. 58-49, to 49. you don't want to put yourself in a position to have to be that kind of team very often. This is now a consistent trouble for UVM. 58 points today, 61 last night, 61 against Yale. They can win, but they're not going to win at the level again that we want them to with that. Defense is important. I'm happy that they play it. I appreciate the effort, and that will keep you in a lot of games. But you've got to be able to score. It feels to me like 70 points has to be the average for this team. Can they get to 70? Right now, they've only broken 70 once against Division I opponents. They scored 70-plus against Northern Iowa, didn't get 70 against Maryland, didn't get 70 against Yale, didn't get 70 against Evansville, didn't get 70 against Oakland. 70 points, I think, should be the baseline. I went and looked at the numbers today. 226 Division I programs are currently averaging 70 points. Let me repeat that. 226 Division I opponents out of 350 are currently averaging at least 70 points a game. UVM is not even close to it. UVM's in the bottom 100 in scoring right now in the nation. That's got to change. You cannot win games consistently 58-49. to 49. Your defense will be there. It is a calling card. It can be your identity. But I'd rather win games 70-59 to 59 than 58-49. to 49. You've got to be able to score the basketball. You can't just rely on holding people to 49 points. It's not practical. 60 points, sure. 59 points, possibly. I guess 59 points, possibly. 60 points, possibly. But you've got to be able, I think, to get to 70. That's the number. Four for 19 from three-point land today. That's got to improve. Team is, you know, 
Right now, one of the worst teams in the nation is shooting from beyond the arc. They've got to figure out a way to get more consistent offensively. 58's not going to cut it. 61's not going to cut it. You've got to be able to get upper 60s, average 70. And if Shungu and Davis can start going off at the same time, like I said, then that will go a long way towards helping you get to 70 because right now they're being held down by the, you know, they're being held down by the fact that they can't get their top scorers going at the exact same time. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Com. I spoke earlier today with former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan. It was a 10-minute conversation. I'm going to play you the best five minutes right now. The full interview, as always, is on our podcast channel. Just search for The Brady Farkas Show, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. I started out with TB. I said, Coach, I want him to score 70. What's the number you think that they should get to? You, you wishing and hoping or uh, telling the truth? <laughs> I, I would think- say... Yeah, what are you looking for? 70. Certainly yeah. 70 is fair. And the re- the way I say that, or the reason I say it, is because we are, we can say what we want, we struggle on offense, or we are so far, but we can guard. We can really stop people. But it's going to get to a point where we're going to have to make some shots. And, you know, as I was listening to that game break today, I really – I heard Becker say in a, in a pregame talk that, um, you know, it gets – like – Somebody misses, then somebody else misses, and next thing you know, you're four for 19. Well, of course, today they started out 0 for 8 or 9, whatever, and then they finally made one. Then they made another one. Then they ended up making three or four in the second half. So I, I just feel like, um, and again, you're on a road. I, I, you know, I'm going. I know you're going to say I don't want to hear all these excuses, but you're on a road. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you, you got you got a little disarray in your group, just a little, and uh, you know you're hoping to rectify that. And um, and so so it was it's a tough time, but uh, but I'm with you, man. And I know I mean, I've watched enough practice to know that that Sullivan can shoot the ball and 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 Cam can shoot the ball. And, uh, you know, so and Benny is getting better at it, too. So but I'd say if, you know, we get 70 every night, we're going to win a lot of games today. UVM gets 12 points from Benny and nine from Davis. How important is it to get star efforts from your stars nightly? This team doesn't appear to have eight guys that are going to score eight (laughs) points a game. They're going to need those two to score a lot. And right now they're not doing it consistently. Right. You're right. And, uh, and again, we're six games in. Okay. So uh, we're not going to draw a lot of conclusions right now. And I think interestingly enough, I was talking funny about this. I was talking to Sorrentine about this yesterday and, uh, and uh, they are, you know, Davis and, uh, and Benny are, uh, are they're they're copping rather than Sorrentine. 2.0 2.0 or yeah you know, right but but the difference is when Sorrentine came in he was a star he was like a star recruit we were really kind of lucky to get him and uh and we didn't and of course we didn't have any idea how good Copperrath was until we found out he was way better than we thought so so those guys right from the jump Copperrath was good from as a freshman so was TJ and they just rolled in now Benny and uh and and Davis that's an entirely different story they they have grown into who they are they really have and and ben in benny's case most particularly uh you know he's not he's not prone to want to go get his own it's just not how he it's not how he's wired but you're right uh, now but that now that is the space that he has been thrust into he's got to score he's got to he's got to take over and he's got to get after it and he's got to go 
And then, of course, he's got to make sure that our boy Davis gets the ball in positions where he can score it as well. But, uh, yeah, somebody, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not overly concerned. I think that, uh, I think that guys will, will kind of come through. Oh, oh, pal, Powell's going to be good. We talked about yeah. him. He's going to be good. You know, he needs a, you know, God. And again, that the one thing is, if you want to go negative, and I, I don't like to do that, but this is legit, and that costs us a game. I'm going to say it that you know him not being there yesterday cost us a game. I think we'd have beaten that team with him. Uh, so hopefully, lesson learned, and uh, we go from there. But uh, and, and today we we kind of understood that he was pretty important too. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Four players suspended for yesterday's game, a two-point loss against Oakland. What goes into the decision to suspend a kid for a coach? I got to assume that this wasn't the first offense, right? Like, if, if you're going to suspend a kid, I got to assume that something has happened before, right? Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, it, you know, and it depends on the crime, of course. And uh, and this one was uh, – I don't I don't think this was a mortal sin. Uh, you know, it's not my – Late to a team function It was the, what it there was said. Go. There you go. All right. And, uh, and stupid. Uh, and they – God, ten of them live together for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. That could happen, right? But anyway, it did happen, and uh, and this is a, another point, Braid. If you don't have a, a real strong group here, if you got a group of individuals uh, that really don't care about each other and everybody else, something like this could really affect you. But I think in this case, you know, it's like, oh my God, how you know, stupid. How can you be so stupid? And then you kind of move on. And I think. Uh, one of the things that I learned as a coach, and I really believe this with my heart and soul, is that taking games away from people should be the absolute last resort because they only get to play a limited number, you know? And, and so that ha- has to be considered. And I, I once suspended a kid for five games, uh, and, um, you know, I look back on it, and, and everybody said, hey, it was great, it was great. And, you know, and then I had another coach call me up and say, "You are crazy. What? Why are you gonna? You're gonna hurt your team. You're gonna hurt him. You're gonna, you know." I said, "Hey, what he did, it's we got to suspend him." But, but I think you have to do crime and punishment. That has to be in, involved in it, and uh, and I think it was kind of appropriate here. All right, there was the best five minutes with former UVM hoops coach Tom Brennan. So TB saying he agrees with me. Seventy points. That should be the number. That should be the goal. And it shouldn't be that hard to obtain. I mean, this team scored 58 today, 61-61 the last two games before that. So they are struggling to score the ball. Four of 19 from three today. 70 is the number. Shouldn't be that hard, especially as we get towards conference play. But Oakland and Evansville, they're on your they're on your level. Yale is on your level. You should have been able to score 70 against those teams. I get not getting 70 against Maryland. If they don't get 70 against Providence, I understand it. But you sh- against other mid and low majors, you should be able to put up at least 70 points. This team has to figure out how to score the basketball. Also interesting perspective there from TB on the suspension of four players yesterday. They were back today. Powell was huge. I, see, I think TB's right. Not a massive infraction, but you know, just interesting to hear him say that He'd be hard-pressed to take away games, but he did say he thought in this case it was appropriate. So UVM is back at it, and UVM is back at it on uh, tomorrow, 11 th- or, I'm sorry, 1.30 p.m. against Appalachian State. So that's going to close out the tournament for them down at the Gulf Coast Showcase. Then Saturday they're going to take on UNC Greensboro down at their place in what should be 
a good game. So we'll continue to monitor the Catamounts. And, of course, when we come back on Monday, we'll have some stuff on UVM. So now it's time for Who's Saying What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month. What a, what a gift that would be for the holidays. Like, hey, you, you drive a lot, you get snow and ice and salt all over your car, you want to keep it looking nice, here you go, 20 bucks a month, I'll pay for it, boom, get your car washed every damn day if you want to. What a cool deal that is. And heck, if you want a free car wash, my listeners can get a free car wash by texting the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400, 30 Four zero zero. Text the word Vermont to that number three zero four zero zero. You'll get a free car wash at Vermont Laser Wash in Central Vermont. That that is such a cool promotion. We don't have audio of this for who's saying what, but we know the story. Last night, as part of the Manning cast for Monday Night Football between the Giants and the Buccaneers, a game the Bucks won thirty to ten. Julian Edelman was on with the Mannings, and he revealed, as he has before, this is not necessarily new news to me at least, but it became news for a lot of people today who heard it for the first time. So Edelman revealed that Tom Brady signed in Tampa and then basically immediately called Edelman and asked if he wanted to come to Tampa too. And it doesn't surprise me that Brady wanted Edelman. That's not really the news to me. What the news to me is is how brazen Tom Brady was about this. I did not know it was the first day that he called him. And I'll tell you why that's a big deal. It's not a big deal that Edelman or that Brady wanted Edelman. We kind of anticipated that. Brady wanted to go there and he wanted some of his guys. It's why he wanted Gronk. It's why he wanted Antonio Brown. He wanted guys who knew how he worked and knew how Brady ticked. He wanted guys that he could trust. So Brady wanted Edelman, not that big a deal to me. If Tom Brady really called Julian Edelman the day he signed there, Tom Brady needs to recognize that Julian Edelman was under contract from the New England Patriots. He signed an extension in 2019 that would have kept Edelman in Foxborough through this year if he hadn't retired. Now, I know players don't have tampering rules in the same way that upper management does, but what exactly does Brady expect Edelman to do in this situation? Force a trade? Ask to be released so the Bucks could sign him? you got to realize, no matter how much you want a guy, that some guys are under contract and you can't get them. And it's not always easy to just get a guy you know, uh, taken off of a team. So... I, Brady wanted veterans. He wanted guys who knew him, who, who could help him win. I, that's understandable and respectable. Julian Edelman shouldn't have been in that conversation considering Edelman was on the Patriots roster actively. He was not a free agent. I, I don't know exactly what Brady's doing there. Sometimes you can't get everything that you want. Now, to Edelman's credit, he said, absolutely not. 
in terms of wanting to go to Tampa. And I don't know if that's because loyalty to the organization just likes living there. Don't know if it's because he was under contract. I don't know what the reason was. Wanted to stay for the fans, but good for Edelman that he stayed. Text on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Lou in Middlesex. Brady, do you think if Edelman had broken his contract and tried to get to Tampa, it would have impacted his legacy in Foxborough? 100%. 100%. Now, looking back, if things were going to go exactly the way that they went, where Edelman gets hurt and he's not really a part of the team for the whole back half of the year and the Patriots weren't very good anyways, like maybe revisionist history, Like if you knew what was going to happen, you might have been able to to reconcile that and ultimately forgive Edelman eventually. But in the moment, oh, God, we would have been talking about that for weeks. If Julian Edelman left the Patriots to go team up with Tampa and you know had to cry his way out of his contract in order to do it, 100% we would have been talking about that forever. Think about last year in March when Brady signed how little sports was going on. Everything had just been canceled. We were starting to realize that everything else was going to be canceled. There there would have been no sports to talk about. This would have been front-page news all over the country for weeks because it would have been the only thing left. It would have been the only thing to talk about. So good for Edelman that he didn't do this. It would have impacted his legacy. We probably would have forgiven him if everything turned out the same way. But if he went to New England and became a Super Bowl hero, then I think... You know, it would have been, you know, it's different than Gronk. Gronk went to Tampa, and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it was that big a deal. He would already been gone from the Patriots, and we didn't know if he could play. Edelman, we thought, could play. Edelman, we thought, could play. Bob in Moncton on the text line says, if Edelman went to Tampa, let's see, the text got cut off there. Text line is doing some weird things here. Occasionally, So, uh, Bob, I will read your text, I promise you. But right now, the text line is just being a little bit wonky. So, I'll give it one more shot here to load it. Nope, not seeing it right now. We will, but uh, not getting it yet. So, if Edelman went to Tampa, something. I don't know what. But Gronk goes to Tampa, didn't think it was a huge deal. Okay? He had already been retired. And we had already kind of gotten past Gronk. We weren't sure if he could play. And the Patriots got a draft pick for Gronk, so okay, whatever. And they got some salary relief, which ultimately led to what they could do this season, or at least helping this offseason. If Edelman went, we thought Edelman could play, and he was under active contract, he'd been actually playing, that would have been a huge deal. Would have been a huge deal. And we would have, we would not have stopped talking about it. So I'm going to try to fix the text line, try to get Bob back here and uh, – you know, try to get Bob's text back in. So we'll see if we can do that. But when we come back, a lot of talk about the Red Sox in the free agent market. I've got what I think is a genius plan for the Red Sox this offseason. Something that High and Bloom needs to be considering. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV. Bob and Moncton, we fixed the text line, we think. He says, if Edelman goes to Tampa, has two huge Super Bowl games, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Well, yeah, of course, but he didn't go to Tampa, and we're glad he didn't, and he made the right decision not to go, and he 
had a contract and he had a legacy here in Foxborough, and it was good that he didn't break either one of them. Because, yeah, I would have looked at him differently, especially in the moment. I probably could have gotten over it if I had known that Edelman was going to get hurt and be useless in that season. But in the moment, would have been a huge betrayal. If I got that worked up about John Henry, an owner who I don't care about, buying the Penguins in the NHL, the least favorite of my, you know, my least favorite of the four sports, imagine how I would have felt if Edelman decided to go break his contract to play in Tampa. It would have been bad. I think a lot of you would have felt that way also. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that, everybody. All right. High and Bloom, Red Sox chief baseball officer. He held court yesterday a little bit and talked about where the Red Sox are at right now in the offseason. Uh, we don't have anything teed up that I would say is close, but uh, we're very active uh, in conversations with with a, a few different guys. I, I think by the time the offseason is over, we we will have added uh, you know pitching of, of various sorts, uh, including starting pitching. I think that's something that that's a clear goal of ours. So Bloom says the Red Sox will be active, and they should be. They don't need 15 starting pitchers, but they do have while well, they have upside in their rotation. They do have questions in their rotation. Injury, age, inexperience, okay? Chris Sale's arm, that's a question. Tanner Houck, innings, workload, age, inexperience, that's a question. Garrett Whitlock, same thing. Connor Siebold, same thing. Guys they would use, guys they may use, there are questions there. Sale, Ivaldi, Pavetta, you know, we know questions about Sale's health, but we kind of know what those three are. Anybody else, we're not quite sure about. Sale of Aldi Pavetta, we got. Garrett Richards is gone. Martin Perez is gone. Erod is gone. So there are holes to fill there. You don't need a hundred guys, but you need somebody. Doesn't look so they didn't get Erod. They didn't get Cindergard. They didn't get Verlander. It doesn't look like they're gonna get Steven Matz. So as of now, the Red Sox are not working right now in the free agent sector. I've got an idea for him. I've got an idea for the Red Sox. In addition to looking at the free agent market, they should be looking at making a trade where they can acquire a good, young, controllable player while also taking on a contract from a team that is looking to shed salary. Basically, can you buy a good, young player we saw the Red Sox do this last year. They essentially bought a good prospect and took on Adam Adovino's contract. The Yankees wanted to get rid of Adovino's dollars, so they attached a good prospect to him. Yes, we'll give you the prospect you want if you take a contract that we don't want. I think the Red Sox should be looking at things like that because we don't want to give up top prospects in trades. But if you are taking on a lot of the money, you don't have to give up a top prospect. The salary relief alone is good for the other team. They'll generally take the money being freed up over requiring you to get a big-time prospect to them. For example, Cincinnati Reds are massively looking to shed salary. Could you acquire 28-year-old starter Luis Castillo who has started 30 games or more in each of his last three full seasons, has an ERA under four in every year of his career except for one, and has two years left on his contract. Can you acquire that guy 
who helps answer some of your questions if you're willing to take on a lot of a guy like Mike Moustakas' contract. The Reds want out from money. Mike Moustakas has two years, $34 million left on his deal. Can you not give up a ton prospect-wise and just use your financial muscle to take on Moustakas' dollars and as a thank you for doing that, you also get Luis Castillo, a young, two-years team control starter who's been really good in his career. Can you do that? That's the kind of deal that Haim Bloom should look at making. Rather than spend huge money on Javi Baez or Robbie Ray or Marcus Stroman, or you know, rather than give up a ton of prospects for somebody else, this is the kind of deal I think that helps serve every purpose. You get the starter. You keep your good prospects. You don't take on a ton of money. Two years, $34 million for Moustakas is a lot better to me than eight for two eighty for Javi Baez. And Moustakas is an average player at this point, maybe even slightly below. But two years, $34 million is not a lot for the Boston Red Sox. Moustakas could play third. He could play second. He could play first. He could be a DH. He could be your super utility guy. He's a veteran presence, well-liked in the clubhouse. You get him. He helps a little bit. I mean, look, Travis Shaw played a big role for this team last year down the stretch. Mike Moustakas could certainly do that. He'd be more expensive than Travis Shaw, but he could certainly be that guy. And you get Castillo. That seems to satisfy all requirements here. If you're not looking to spend top dollar, boom, I saved you a bunch of money. We got Moustakas. We didn't go get Baez. You don't want to give up a huge prospect call? Neither do I. Neither do I. We'll get the good, ready-made major leaguer, but we'll just use our money instead of our prospects to acquire them. That's the deal the Red Sox should be looking at. And if you don't like the Castillo-Mustakis combo, go find the other teams that are looking to shed salary. Maybe it's the A's. Do they have a bad contract? Will you take Elvis Andrews from them just to save them money in addition to getting a good player? Do the Twins want to shed salary? Can you go get somebody from them? Would they give you Byron Buxton if you take on someone else's deal? I don't know. But those are the Leafs that High and Bloom should be turning over. And I'm sure he is. But if you don't want to spend $80 million on Schwarber, you don't want to spend the money on the shortstop market, okay. But what else are you going to do to add to this team? Getting a guy like Luis Castillo for just the price of Mike Moustakis doesn't seem like a bad idea to me. Keep my prospects, keep a lot of my money, get a veteran presence, get a top flight starter. Boom. Now we're talking about the Red Sox continuing to be players in the American League. Here's what I want people to understand about the offseason for the Red Sox. Just because they got to the ALCS that does not guarantee them a berth in the ALCS next year. The rest of the American League is getting better. Full year in Toronto of Jose Barrios. Hopefully a full year health-wise from George Springer. A full year playing in one city. They're going to be better. Tampa, full year of Wander Franco, the top prospect in baseball. Full year there. 
they're going to get better. The Yankees appear armed to spend a bunch, and God willing, COVID is not as big a thing baseball-wise next year. If they don't have the issues they had this year, they're probably better too. The White Sox just signed Kendall Graveman, one of the top relievers on the market, to a three-year deal. They're not going away. The Tigers have already spent on Erod, traded for Tucker Barnhart. They want Carlos Correa, and they very well may get him. They want to be good. It is not just a foregone conclusion that the Red Sox are penciled in next year to the American League Championship Series or beyond. This team has to do stuff, and it has to get better. Mid-level starters would be fine if they need to. I'm not interested in Alex Cobb or Zach Granke, but those kind of guys are out there. If they can fill a hole with one of those, okay. How can you do better than that? If you don't want to shell out $180 million, then I think the way to do better than that is by getting a deal like this. We will take on a prospect, or we will take on a veteran contract that you want to get rid of in exchange for a young, good player. We've seen this before. Again, High and Bloom did it last year without him on Avino. The Mariners got Jared Kelnick, a better prospect, because they took on part of Jay Bruce's salary. Heck, the Dodgers got Mookie Betts because they took a lot of David Price's salary. And they didn't have to give up the top prospects in their organization. The Red Sox liked the players they got, but they really liked getting rid of the money attached to David Price. This is the kind of deal that Haim Bloom should be looking at, and this is the kind of deal that Haim Bloom should seriously consider making. We're going to have Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson. He's going to be with us tomorrow. I believe he's going to be on live at 545 tomorrow. So we'll ask him questions like this about the creative nature of deals that Haim Bloom can do. And we mentioned, you know, the, the Dodgers-Red Sox deal last year with David Price. Well, Andrew Friedman is the guy who did that deal, and he was Haim Bloom's mentor in Tampa. So he's seen it done before. He's done it himself. I'd be interested in doing it again. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I mean, the White Sox just, I just said they signed Kendall Graveman. They really want to get rid of Craig Kimbrell, who was a bust for them. Could you reacquire Kimbrell and get a good young player from the White Sox just if you're willing to take, the I think, $16 million on Kimbrell's deal? Hey, we'll take it. We'll take all $16 million. We'll put him in our bullpen. Give us a good young player, too, and we don't have to give up that much because we took all the money. Those are deals that I think Heim Bloom should be looking at. You have the financial ability to do things that other teams can't do. Other teams want to shed it. You can absorb it. And I think the Sox should be looking at that. Uh, Rick in St. Johnsbury, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802 585 3026. He says, Brady, interesting idea, but I'm more interested in knowing if you thought Eduardo Rodriguez's comments were interesting yesterday. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Erod got introduced as a member of the Tigers. We have that um, written down here somewhere. He says, oh, yeah, I didn't talk to the Red Sox about how many years and all that. I know they wanted me back, but it's time for me to move and start the new part of my life. Those are weird comments. 
because we had heard that there was a multi-year offer on the table from the Red Sox, but either that wasn't true or it never got to Eduardo Rodriguez himself. So I don't get that. That's, that's an oddity. And two, he seemed ready to move on. Now the question is why? Was it simply the money? Is it the connections he has in the Tigers organization, of which there are a lot, apparently? Is it he grew tired of Boston? Does the AL Central seem easier to pitch in? Is it he wants to be a mentor and he can do that in Detroit? He wants to be an ace and he can be that in Detroit? I don't know, but his comments yesterday were certainly eyebrow-raising uh, from where I'm sitting. So, uh, interesting stuff there. But, uh, okay, Tom Karen's going to be on tomorrow. We'll ask him more about the Red Sox offseason. Now, though... It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes. Crazy Twitter Takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, crazy Twitter takes today on this Tuesday comes from Mel Kuyper Jr., who was talking about the MVP race in the NFL. I'll make the case for a quarterback that uh, not many balls hit the ground with, that he's been at 82-6 and 84-6 completion percentage the last two games. He has thrown seven touchdowns and two picks over the last five games, led his team to five straight wins. Uh, they have a great opportunity to go 11-6, and 12-5, and five, and maybe win a division. Uh, that I think you, Dari, correctly predicted back in August they could. And I'm going to go Mac Jones. I, I, if, where would the New England Patriots be without Mac Jones? All right, Mel Kuyper says that Mac Jones could be and might be the NFL MVP. Yes, this is a crazy Twitter take. This is th- this is one that I'm just going to laugh off and not get a lot of airtime to because you know I think Mac Jones has been great. You know I think it's awesome how well the team is playing and overachieving and outkicking its expectations. But Mac Jones is not the MVP, okay? The MVP is a stats-driven award. It's not a good player award. It's not a he's driving the bus really well award. It's a flashy Big play, big numbers award, and Mac Jones doesn't have that stuff. That's not on his resume. Mac Jones is currently tied for 15th in the NFL in touchdown passes. He's on pace for fewer than 30, which is fewer than two a game. I mean, MVPs in 16-game seasons threw 40, 45, 50 touchdown passes. Mac Jones is going to throw, at this point, under 30. He's also in the top half, negatively, of the league in interceptions thrown. 14 touchdown passes, I believe 8 interceptions. Those are not gaudy numbers that win you the MVP. He's also outside the top 10 in total passing yards. And I got to imagine, as the weather gets worse and the opponents get better, Mac Jones is not going to have a ton of huge passing yard games. I don't see the 380 coming from him at any time soon. Bad weather, cold weather, later in the season, better opponents. They're going to lean on the defense. They're going to lean on the run game, and Mac will still be involved. I think Mac Jones, again, has been an active participant in this Patriots season. I do not think he is solely just a passenger who gets his hand held by everybody. 
but he's not the MVP. He's good. He's good. He's not the MVP. He's good for the Patriots. He's good for the Patriots right now. The MVP is a stats-driven award. It is a big numbers award, and Mac Jones just simply doesn't have it. That was the crazy Twitter take that we went to. There was one that was right up for conversation. Did you all hear this one? Matthew Judon of the Patriots, great you know, defensive player for the Pats who's got more than 10 sacks this year. Did you hear what he said today? I'm going to tell you, we got to get macaroni and cheese off the table. All right, guys. It's just cheese and noodles. All right, I'm going up. I'm getting on my soap opera. It's just cheese and noodles, and it's not that good. Get a macaroni and cheese off the table, and it'd be a much better Thanksgiving for everybody in the house. First off, I didn't know anybody had mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. That sounds amazing. Second off, he says that mac and, mac, uh, and cheese is terrible. I disagree. Mac and cheese is awesome. doesn't matter if it's soupy mac and cheese, if it's crumbly mac and cheese, if it's, you know, crusty mac and cheese. doesn't matter to me. Mac and cheese is good, and Matthew Judon is wrong. Matthew, Matthew Judon is wrong. Mac and cheese is good. I, I don't know why he decided to attack mac and cheese today, but that there is the most egregious thing that Matthew Judon has done since coming to Foxborough. Been great on the field. He's going to have to continue to be great on the field if he wants to avoid everyone's wrath about mac and cheese. Craft mac and cheese out of the box that you boil up, that's great. High-quality mac and cheese, doesn't matter. It's all good to me. It could be a dollar for a box. It could be $25 you get at a restaurant. Mac and cheese, excellent. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Everybody says how negative, what a negative it is that the AFC doesn't have a great team. Well, guess what? This is what the NFL has wanted for years. I'll tell you why next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Steve in Faston says, I wonder if Edelman is watching this year wishing he didn't retire. That's actually a good question. We're going to get into that tomorrow because there has been some talk about whether or not Edelman could and would want to come back, and I got some audio on that. We will do that tomorrow. So that's a good question there by by Steve. He also says maybe Matthew Judon is just having some fun with Mac Jones by saying he doesn't like mac and cheese. No, this was no, this was real. He was talking food. He he made quips about how, you know, people have to go to the bathroom too much when they have mac and cheese. He went deep into it. So this was not a Mac Jones thing. This was a uh, a genuinely dislike the dish thing. So but we will get to the Edelman question tomorrow. Lastly here from me, the AFC situation should not be looked at as a bad thing. I keep seeing people saying, the AFC is so jumbled, there's no dominant team, and just teams aren't that good. The NFL, I want you to know, is getting exactly what it wants. The NFL wants this. The NFL has been trying to get this. For years, here we are going into week 12. 12 teams are 500 or better in the AFC. 12 of 16 are in reasonable playoff conversation. That's 75% of your conference. 
here we are almost to December and 75% of the conference is in the playoff conversation and not talking about just tanking for the draft. That's what the league wants. Ding, ding, ding. We've said forever the league is designed for teams to be near the middle. It's designed to be 500. Free agency, salary cap, draft picks going in reverse order. It's all designed to have exactly what's happening now where everybody pushes towards the middle. The reason why it wasn't like this before is because the Patriots broke the system. You're not supposed to be able to do what the Patriots have done. It's supposed to be this, where there's not a lot of teams that are great, and there's not a lot of teams that are horrible. It's a bunch of teams that are average to just above or just below. The NFL wants this. The number one seed in the playoff race, that's wide open. Three of the four divisions right now are being are, are separated by one game or less. That's what the NFL wants. 12 of, of 16 teams in the conference over 500 in the playoff conversation. That's what the league wants. This is exactly how the system was designed. Your schedule, you got teams playing a first-place schedule, a second-place schedule, a third-place schedule, a fourth-place schedule. They're trying to create turnover, and they're trying to create entropy, which I believe is a fancy word for chaos. The league wants this. So when, don't look at it like, wow, the AFC sucks. There's no great teams. Look at it like the NFL is finally, this year, doing what they've wanted to do all along. The Patriots broke the system for a long time. This year, teams are not breaking it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can also... Uh, check out the full interviews there with Tom Brennan and Bob Sosi. Appreciate them being with us. We'll have a bunch more interviews coming up tomorrow, and uh, we will see you then right here on WDEV. Dinner Jazz is next.